Good morning, everyone. My name's Russell Smith, uh, the pastor here at New Life. Welcome along this morning. If you're visiting or if you've just dropped in here, we're up to our 16th uh, Sunday reading through the book of Acts, and here we are up to chapter 15. We're going all the way to the end of Acts uh, as we keep going across this term. We're we're looking at this uh, great theme, uh, Reach Out. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is the key verse for understanding the book of Acts and the movement of Jesus' gospel mission into the world. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and to all Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And the book of, the Act, book of Acts is then telling the true story of history of Jesus' gospel mission going out through his apostles to the believers to the ends of the earth, which catches us up even today as we continue on in that mission. Now, as we've read chapter 15 this morning, we start to see some of the challenges that the early believers faced, that the church faces as they seek to come to understand what the gospel message means and how it works itself out in their church community and in their relationships with one another and more importantly how they understand their relationship with God. And the big word that stands over this chapter is a little word, if. We're going to be thinking about this word this morning, if, I-F, if. In computer programming... One of the most powerful words is the word if, with my limited ability in Fortran 70, was it called? Fortran 90, uh, that I learned at university. In computer programming, the word if allows this management of complex data, calculations and variables. Uh, Those who went on with engineering further than I did, you can tell me my mistakes uh, that I've made here or that perhaps that is something offensive. Uh, I hope it's not. A powerful word, the word if, in computer programming. In contract law, if is a necessary word. If allows for expectations and consequences. If this happens, then this. If one party does this, then this. In relationships, if is an ugly word. If suffocates the warmth of relationship. If doesn't build up relationship, if tears it down. Uh, Several years ago, I was discipling a young man uh, who had become a young adult uh, who was having trouble getting on with his parents. All the usual kind of things as you move from being a teenager uh, into being a young adult and still living under the same roof as your parents and seeking to have some kind of independence... And parents go through a struggle then as well. How much independence do I give? Now this young man that I was discipling, his solution to the challenges and conflict that he was facing with his parents that he thought was unreasonable was to come up with a list of conditions that he wrote down and framed and posted up in the house. If you do this, then I will do this. It was pretty obvious to see that within a week that was not going to guard and build up warmth and relationship in that home and that family, but to suffocate that warmth and tear that relationship down. Warm relationships are free of if. 
The motherly love that we celebrate on Mother's Day is often seen as an unconditional love. Those who, who, who are mothers always feel like uh, they're not quite getting it right and you could, you could do so much better. But what we do celebrate today and what is so typified in, in so many mums and certainly in imitating God's motherly love towards us, talks about that in the book of Isaiah, is celebrating an unconditional love, a love that doesn't have an if. I heard this week about uh, a French church, they have a sign out the front of their church that says you are welcome. They don't go for fancy signs, uh, they don't go for the outreach media signs that say something pithier that interacts with the media of the day, they just have this big clear sign that says you are welcome. I heard that their sign was graffitied, vandalised and added if, you are welcome if, if is an ugly word in relationships and especially in Christian community. You are accepted if you are welcome, if you are part of us, if. Now the church at Antioch in Acts chapter 15 has an if problem. There was a condition on the relationship between the two ethnic groups that existed there, the Jews who were descendants of God, Old Testament people, the Israelites... They were the Jews and there were the Gentiles, everybody else, every other ethnic grouping, those who weren't Jews. There was a condition on the relationship between them and ultimately flowing out of that, there was a condition on the relationship with God, a condition on having salvation, on being accepted by God. Now this raises a question for you and I, on what basis are we accepted in Christian community? On what basis are we accepted by God? How is it that we continue in relationship with God and with one another? Does the gospel message require faith alone in Christ alone for salvation? Or is there an if? Does Jesus' death and resurrection need something added on to it? Is there in any way that we imply with one another that there's an if when our belief might say there's no if? They're the things we want to be thinking about today uh, as we come to understand Acts chapter 15. At Antioch... The Jewish believers were saying that Gentiles can be saved if, if they are circumcised and if they obey the Old Testament law of Moses, they can be saved. The Gentiles can be saved if they first become like Jews. Have a look with him please again, verse 1, Acts chapter 15 verse 1. Some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, the Christians of Jews and Gentiles, unless you were circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. You can be saved if you first become a Jew. Or down in verse 5, captures it up again, verse 5, some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees 
which is a Jewish party, stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. Now this is a narrowing of God's salvation plans. Under the Old Testament period, under the Old Covenant, God had promised to save those who belong to His chosen Israelite community, the Jewish community. That is the Old Testament period. That is the Old Covenant period. Now, under the New Covenant, the period that comes with Jesus, those at Antioch are saying, well, God now saves those who have faith in Jesus and become Jews. The Jews at Antioch are narrowing God's salvation plans. Acts chapter 15 is here for us to see that God's salvation plans actually expand. Now there's disagreement at Antioch. We've got Paul on one side, Barnabas on the other side. And so what they do is they go to Jerusalem to sort it out with the apostles. Verse 2. Uh, This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers. I wonder if the other believers were either there to go and help them represent each one of these cases or was to go and keep them apart while they're travelling there together. Who knows? They appointed them along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. Uh, If you run your eyes down over verses 3 and 4 that... Uh, Amy read out loud for us before, here they are travelling back in along the uh, the route that the gospel message has come out from. And as they go back in along there and reporting where the gospel message has gone out to, there's this rejoicing at the movement of Jesus' mission out to the ends of the earth. Well, I get to uh, Jerusalem and to the apostles and in Jerusalem, here they are to settle the debate. Peter is the main spokesperson to start off with, the last time we hear from Peter in the book of Acts and Peter points out that God's salvation plans don't narrow but expand to include the Gentiles. Now remember Acts chapter 10, we looked at it on Easter Sunday where Peter was having that vision the trance as he was on the roof of the sheet coming down with all these different animals from a Jewish perspective, clean animals and unclean animals. He was told to eat. Later on he met Cornelius who was a Gentile and Cornelius became a believer. He was baptised and the Holy Spirit came upon him and Peter started to understand that God's salvation plans weren't narrowing but expanding. Turn back with me please to Acts chapter 10 verse 34. Acts chapter 10, verse 34. Love hearing those pages flick. I'll read when you've got there. Acts chapter 10, verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear Him and do what is right. There's an expanding beyond Israel, beyond the Jews. Turn over to verse 45, Acts chapter 10, verse 45. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter, these are the Jews, the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. 
Gentiles believe, Gentiles are saved, Gentiles receive the Holy Spirit without becoming Jews. God's salvation plans expand to include Gentiles. And so back in chapter 15, please, back in chapter 15, we see some of the points that Peter makes, that this shouldn't be a surprise, that this is not something new, that this is consistent with God's plans to expand to all nations. So in verse 7, chapter 15, verse 7, we see that this is God's choice. This is God's plan. Verse 7, after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. This is God's choice because the Gentiles, they too are accepted by God. Verse 8, God, who knows the heart, showed that He accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as He did to us. Because God makes no distinction between Jew and Gentile, verse 9. He made no distinction between us, us Jews, and them, Gentiles, for He purified their hearts by faith. God's plans is to expand to include the Gentiles, and so to put an if condition on the salvation of the Gentiles is a godless testing of God, verse 10. Now then, why do you try to test God? This is what Ananias and Sapphira were accused of doing back in Acts chapter 5. And they wound up dead. Peter says, now then, why do you try to test God? By putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear. God's way is by grace, verse 11. No, we believe it is through the grace of of our Lord Jesus, that we are saved, we Jews are saved, just as they, Gentiles, are. It is by grace. Uh, At Youth Group on Friday night, we were looking at Acts chapter 15 to uh, prepare for uh, uh, reading it together uh, today. And in the Junior Youth Group, we were coming up with some uh, cartoon strips to illustrate and define what grace is. There's a few of our junior youth groupers here. I wonder if they might be able to help us remember and illustrate uh, some of the things that we were doing in talking about grace. What were was, what was some of the themes of some of the cartoon strips that you guys drew to understand grace? Okay, so you drew Jesus' death and, death and resurrection uh, and I think we're talking about because Jesus had done something for us that we didn't deserve or we couldn't do, do for us. Two groups separately uh, drew a situation, uh, these are in comic strips, cartoon strips, uh, of somebody who had had broken their leg, kind of good Samaritan kind of of theme. Somebody had broken their leg and somebody came along and helped them out. Oh, one was even that somebody came along in a ute and threw the person on the back of the ute and once they were on the ute, the ute turned into a a minivan-style ambulance and so they were able to drive them to the hospital and they looked after them there and after the person was unloaded, their car turned back into a ute. Great. Underneath there, there's this illustration of grace, that somebody does something for another for whom they don't deserve or have not necessarily earned it in any kind of a way. Grace meets us just as we are. And so we are saved by grace, by Jesus' attitude of favour towards us, 
to do something for us that we can't do for ourselves and for which we are completely undeserving of. That is grace. It doesn't matter whether we are Jew, it doesn't matter whether we are Gentile, it doesn't matter whether we obey the law or have disobeyed the law, it doesn't matter our ethnic background, the colour of our skin, it doesn't matter our age, it doesn't matter about our level of intellect, it doesn't matter about our level of disability, it doesn't matter about our station of life, it doesn't matter about what we have or haven't achieved, it doesn't matter what job we have, it doesn't matter what gender we have, it is by grace. Here in Antioch, here in Jerusalem, there is no if for the Gentiles to be saved. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. And so now this is the disciples, the apostles' decision. And James uh, wraps up their point of view for us uh, from verse 13. Uh, You might have been wondering, hang on, didn't James get killed back in chapter 12 by Herod? You might not have even thought about that, did you? How did James get killed in chapter 12 and now here he is, he's speaking in chapter 15? Two different Jameses, okay? The James that was killed by Herod back in chapter 12 was John's brother. This James is Jesus' brother, biological brother, okay? Uh, So different James. And what James says is there is no if, verse 19. Verse 19, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. There is no if. But then what about these conditions? Seeming conditions in verse 20. They sound like Jewish ifs. Verse 20, instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals and from blood. Is this an if? Well, these kind of practices that are mentioned here are idolatry, sexual immorality, meat of strangled animals from blood. Uh, these are practices that sound like they have some kind of connection to the Jewish Old Testament law, but in the first century, in places like Antioch, these practices are particularly associated with pagan temple worship and prostitution that goes on round about pagan temples. This is a way of showing that you have an allegiance to the gods that is not the true and living God. These kind of practices show that you have a faith in the gods that are not Jesus. It shows that you belong to the other gods. And so rather than seeing these as um, uh, uh, conditions of faith, Turning away from them is an expression of faith. It's to turn away from an allegiance to pagan temple worship to allegiance or faith in Jesus. Doing these things is not consistent with faith in Jesus. Leaving them behind then is not a condition of faith but an expression of faith. And so the apostles make the decision... And they send a letter back to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas and they send back a couple of other people as well, Judas and Silas, so that clearly they might know there is no if for salvation. God's way is by grace. Salvation is in Christ alone. Now this is really important 
for you and I to know and to accept. The if dilemma and debate in Antioch was about Jew and Gentile, but it has broader implication for us today. We tend to hear or think that we hear, usually from within, conditions for God's acceptance of us. How often we get a bit deaf to hearing God's welcome in Christ alone. As time goes on, we we forget the truth of the gospel message in Christ alone. As we get tangled up in sin, as we neglect reading our Bibles, as we neglect prayer, we start to talk to ourselves from in inside and start to think that our acceptance by God is starting to waver. We forget the truth of the gospel message that we are accepted by God in Christ alone. We can start to go cold on the joy and certainty of God's warm acceptance of us in Christ alone. In a moment, we are going to sing the song, In Christ Alone. It has wonderful words. Uh, Of the past 15 years, according to the CCLI register that keeps track of all churches across the world that are singing songs, or at least those who are uh, legally registering the copyrights so that royalties pass on to the owners. So uh, let's imagine that that, um, everybody is doing the right thing. In Christ Alone is the song that is most sung in churches right across the world in the past 15 years. It's starting to knock Amazing Grace off its perch. Uh, sorry, John Wesley, that uh, we, we were singing about quoted from. Uh, that's a Newton one, isn't it? Newton, sorry. We parked that over there. That was a good quote this morning, Brock. Um, those who missed it early on will need to ask Brock about the fantastic quote about lust and singing. That's intrigued you, hasn't it? In Christ Alone has great, great words. Uh, let's take uh, verse, um, uh, verse 4. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. Sin's curse has lost its grip on me, for I am His and He is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones He came to save, we are completely undeserving of Christ's grace, till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin on him was laid and here in the death of Christ I live. The Presbyterian Church of America was putting out a church hymnal, a church songbook uh, several years ago and they wanted to change some of the words of in Christ alone. The line that goes, till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. They wanted to change that till to till on that cross as Jesus died, the love of God was magnified. 
Now, surely on the cross, God's love is magnified as God shows the incredible depth of his love to reach out to us and that Jesus might die in our place to bring us salvation. But Keith uh, Getty and Stuart Townend, who wrote this great song, didn't allow for the line to be changed. They wanted to stay it as exactly as it was and they said this about it. The two hymnal committees wanted to change the lyrics to focus on how Christ's death on the cross magnifies God's love for the world. And indeed, God's love was magnified on Calvary's hill. Yet the way this occurred was through Christ doing for us what we could not do for ourselves, shedding His own perfect blood to atone for our sins. You see, the cross doesn't just show us the unconditional love of God, but shows us grace as Christ does for us what we cannot do for ourselves in satisfying the just wrath of God at our sin. So that our salvation and acceptance by God can and is in Christ alone with no if and our continuance in that relationship with God is in Christ alone no if do we see one another as God sees us in Christ alone In Christian community, we can tend to hear or think that we hear conditions for relationship. We can think that there is expectations or we place expectations on ourselves or expectations unspoken on others that can leave me thinking that I might be walking a fine line between warm acceptance in Christian community and cold loneliness. Which sign represents new life, Presbyterian Church? Is there any unwritten graffiti? You're welcome. If? What might our possible conditions be as we accept one another? Will we be motherly in our love of one another? accepting one another without an if? Will we welcome, accept and love the elderly among us? Will we welcome and accept the children and the youngest among us? Will we welcome and accept the high schoolers, those with a disability, those who are single parents, those who are divorced, those who are homeless, those who are unbelievers? Will we welcome, accept and love them? Our acceptance into relationship here with one another is in Christ alone. Whoever Christ welcomes, we welcome. Whoever Christ loves, we love. And our continuation in relationship with one another here is by Christ alone. Whoever Christ perseveres with, we will persevere with them as hard as that might be. 
whoever Christ lays down his life for, we lay our life down for. This is the consistent and wonderful gospel message through Acts and out to the ends of the earth. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. We believe that it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as we are. I hope and pray that we might know this that we might understand it, that we might believe it, that we might live it, that we might share this among us and as we continue to reach out to the ends of the earth. 